Welcome to the Huntback Country Podcast. This is a Monday Minute episode, which are shorter and more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. Steve, how are you today? I'm good. You you sound a little sleepy. <laughs> I am a little sleepy. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, just came back from Kodiak and my airline travel was not ideal. We'll put it that way. But essentially, I did not sleep from waking up in Kodiak on Saturday morning. Yeah, Saturday morning. See, I'm so sleepy. My days are running together. Didn't get to sleep at all. Was in the airport all night Saturday night and on planes and got home Sunday. So it was really nice, though, to get some actual sleep last night. <laughs> yeah, it's no, there's nothing like coming home to your uh, actual bed. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, Kodiak. Um, I had a crazy trip, man. Yeah, I don't know what we want to say, what we want to cover, how deep we want to dive. But uh, it had a great time. Brought home a ton of fish which was fantastic did not bring home a ton of deer though steve yeah we i mean there were six of us with one tag each and justin killed a buck on the first day and that was the the end of it (laughs) it was (laughs) i don't have still don't know exactly what happened to be honest with you the the um rafe and nolan the the guys are up there they're kind of um very knowledgeable and their guides and help run the lodge and they you know they weren't aware of any winter kill but man when we were out there hunting the the couple weeks leading up to that all their they had killed basically one buck a week between the all the different groups coming and going we ran into the uh, basically the plane we landed on in in kodiak was the group of hunters over there prior you know got on the plane and the one guy who had been there on multiple trips was like, I saw five deer this entire week. And I just looked at him like, what are you crazy? Did you hunt? <laughs> how was that? How was this possible? <laughs> you should see five yeah. deer before you even get off the boat the first morning. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but you know, I knew kind of Nolan had messaged me and said, Hey, things have been kind of slow up here, deer hunting wise. And I guess, you know, I was, I have abundance of confidence and based off of the two prior experiences, I was like, well, okay, that's, you know, people just aren't hunting hard and not hunting smart. We'll, we'll get it done. And mm-hmm. so I still had a very optimistic attitude, even after talking to that guy, you know, as we were getting off the plane, we uh, went out that first morning and uh, basically everything I heard, you know, was assuming was they're basically saying the weather's been warm. They're not really rutting yet. The, and the, the deer are most likely high. So it was like that first morning. Okay. Like I'm on a mission. Let's just get to the Alpine which isn't where we started. It was it's like maybe a 12, 1400 feet to kind of bust out of the brush climbing. And then it kind of starts to open up where you can glass. It's you've killed a buck right in the spot. I killed one of my bigger bucks kind of further back in this basin mm-hmm. the first year. Um, so just took off and didn't see any deer down low. I was like, okay, I guess I'm, you know, expecting that. And then by the time we got through the brush it was pretty windy but we didn't really notice it and then we got through the brush and started climbing up all of a sudden got hit with just I, you know i don't know exactly how strong the winds were but i'd say in the 40s you know mm-hmm. maybe you guessed in at 50 at times because it was legit you couldn't walk yeah <laughs> you were uh, it was really pushing you around and just walking in a straight line certainly wasn't possible and uh so yeah we but we got up there able to find a little spot tuck out of the wind and we're freezing our butts off because it was, uh, you know, 28 degrees. But with that wind, it was cold. Um, 
and saw one doe. And I was like, gosh, this sucks. Okay, they must be on the other side of the mountain from the wind. So we hike up and over the other side of the mountain, see, um, um, sit down, find another spot out of the wind, and finally get in a canyon that's kind of out of the whole canyon. It's kind of, you know, just breezy, but nothing like the other side. And sat there for a while and as long as we could because it was, yes, yeah, so it was cold. And, you know, our Nalgene's were frozen solid, uh, which tells you just how cold it was because you started, you know, three hours prior with Nalgene's from the sink, you know, at the lodge mm-hmm. <laughs> filled up with water. And, uh, and didn't see a single deer and then we we ended up just like okay what the hell's going on and maybe it's just this bad weather day and uh we kind of had a plan to hike out and um hike slash hunt our way back out to the to the lodge and we did that and never saw a deer and ended up getting back a little early just because we made it through the that rest of the country quick but like okay i guess this is going to be a tough week of hunting we just went one day and didn't see anything but a single doe and then uh yeah, you you guys went out. I guess you could sell your first morning story. So just a recap for maybe listeners yeah. don't have context. We've we did the same trip, same spot, same time of year. Oh, yeah, twenty nineteen. There's three of us: you, myself, uh, and your buddy Mike. And but among the three of us, we killed seven bucks. We went back in twenty what was it twenty twenty one maybe? Mm-hmm. I think yep. a group of eight guys and killed. Uh, I think 14 bucks in all those trips. We also didn't hunt every single day. We also fished. So just to give you a level of like confidence that we yeah, have in the number of deer that we see is beyond like, yeah, as you said, Steve, like seeing five deer should happen within, I don't want to say should obviously, cause I don't know if I can't say that anymore. Historically has happened for us within the first one to two hours of the trip like of the week you're seeing five deer you know maybe i'll be does but like you're seeing deer off the bat and quick and i can't think of a single day steve in any of our previous trips where there hasn't been a buck killed period like and usually it's two (laughs) to three per day um yeah so it's just like to go from that to you guys going out and i know the country you covered that you just explained like i wasn't with you on that day but i know the full route you did and the fact that you saw one doe is unbelievable and <laughs> just crazy yeah. yeah my really good friend keith came on this trip and i was yeah just talking up the whole way like oh there's a deer behind every bush and which is just what the experience has been and i think in all of my hunting days there typically get dropped off on the beach you know eight o'clock plus or minus um and by I think by 11 a.m. every single day I've stepped out there in the field, which you know maybe nine days, eight nine days over the p- previous two trips, I've had a we're cutting up a deer. I mean within the first two hours we've spotted a buck and killed it, and uh, so to go to go from that ex- extreme to <laughs> the uh, to seeing a single doe over the course of an entire day was quite the change. Yeah. And then yeah, so that was just back to like get back to the lodge like okay what the hell's going on are the like are the deer really high because there wasn't a whole lot of snow when the when we arrived are they the the one thing we noticed was all the brush they had really warm weather and all the brush was standing uh, for the most part where you know it's just like even versus our first year there that going up that first uh canyon mark was super super brushy like you're just yeah. kind of chin deep for you know 
800 yards at times getting through stuff where it just i describe it as if you're two inches tall and you're trying to walk through the you know a thick lush green grass in your backyard <laughs> like just try yeah. to imagine that and that's what it's like kids yeah yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it is yeah um and uh so it was super brushy like well, okay maybe maybe they're there and there's just uh you know they're just it's so brushy we're just not seeing them you know they're not they're not running yet so they're not kind of active out and moving had the bad weather that first day so still tried to like retain some optimism but we did elect like well let's go fish the next two days some weather is supposed to come in it's supposed to snow get uh, not getting colder but just start snowing and maybe that'll help kick things in, in gear so that's what we did we went and fished for a couple of days had a blast caught a pile of fish everybody that was one you know precursor going into the trip you know we've talked about this in the past as like setting expectations for a hunt and i asked every single guy like all right what's what's your goal for the hunt and most guys obviously kill a nice buck but also definitely want to bring some fish meat home and so we made fishing a somewhat of a priority to to get done and so we killed killed a lot of fish brought home everyone brought home like 60 pounds of fillets for just the three days that we fished which is pretty awesome and then uh yeah went back to hunting we hunted uh wednesday and thursday wednesday we just moved completely different spots and actually saw some more deer like probably 20 ish does that day and two little bucks but we we certainly could have killed one of them we could not have killed it was we were going through the brush and around a corner it was right there at 40 yards and it was already like kind of running away from us you know took two steps and disappeared and then we did see another one that was just a little you know two point and stood there at 200 yards for quite a while broadside and uh actually had keith uh got the gun set up on a tripod for him and had him like kind of dry fire a couple times just to get we hadn't had time to practice shooting off a tripod before got him you know set up on that to get confidence it's like oh, i was perfect little uh, you know kind of real world situation without you know squeezing a live round off and uh because that's confident like all right we've seen two bucks this morning we're gonna find something and then can't yeah, proceed to hunt that rest of the day and saw saw a big old brown bear at a couple hundred yards which was cool and then yeah met you guys back at the beach and uh neither your group nor nor our group killed something that day yeah yeah our group was similar that second day we saw dozens of does and then essentially could have only only saw and could have killed one really really small buck that second day um yeah it was pretty wild it was cool to get into new country and man that whole that whole way up like you said we had taken a couple days off fished wait for this weather system to move in we you know had good snow in this new area especially as we got a little bit of elevation we were seeing some great tracks we did see deer early like in the distance so we we had a lot of hope that uh was ultimately our second hunting day and uh yeah certainly just saw a ton of does but again just that one tiny buck that no one wanted to shoot and uh it was pretty wild for sure so yeah i mean all in all on the trip we ended up fishing three days hunting three days um obviously killed justin's buck i didn't get into that whole story it's a, a fun one maybe we'll have justin tell it sometime or we actually do have some footage of filming so that may come out in some form but we'll save that story for another day but it was great to get justin a buck he's been to alaska uh, he went in 2019 and filmed uh, the caribou hunt that we did he filmed my goat hunt 
and then he did a death hike with us in Alaska. So he's been to Alaska three times, but this fourth trip was his first trip having a tag for himself. And uh, it honestly was like a priority of mine to try and get him a deer. It's I've been to Alaska with him. This will be the fourth trip, but he's never got to hunt. So it's like, man, we got to make something happen. So it was a huge like uh, feat, you know, awesome time on the first day to get Justin the first buck on the board. Of course, at that point, we didn't know it would be the only buck of the trip. Uh, we certainly couldn't have forecasted that. But um, if anyone was able to get a buck on that trip, I'm glad it was Justin. So from that perspective, it was uh, really, really good. And yeah, coming home with the fish was fantastic. Just had a great time. It's just so much fun up there. Super cool country, even though the hunting wasn't we what we expected or what we experienced before. It's uh, I remember, I think it was you and Tyler, Steve, recapping, I think your sheep hunt. Maybe it was Tyler's sheep hunt, I don't recall. But one of you guys mentioned like being up there, being in Alaska on that hunt and like some the context of the conversation at the point was something wasn't going well. And I think it was you, Steve, that said like, man, mm-hmm. if you're up here and complaining, even when the weather sucks or the hunting sucks or whatever, like something's wrong with you. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Certainly, even coming home from this trip, it's like, yeah, it was not even close to what we expected. Couldn't really certain, certainly couldn't have predicted it, all that stuff. But gosh, what a great time. Just like a great opportunity to get up there with good people and amazing place and have the experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it said in the end, not killing a buck was just not, not a big deal. I mean, even the last day of our hunting, uh, it said we, we kind of ended up doing this really similar route to the first day where the wind was ripping and we tried to go back to that same canyon. There had been more snow and I was optimistic that we'd see some more deer. And we did see one dinky buck and I mean, just a, you know, four inch spike basically. And then a couple does. Um, but uh, yeah, we ended up getting back to the lodge before dark again, just how the hunt, how the hunt shook out. Cause we were basically doing a loop and, and then we ran into some other hunters. So we had to kind of, go left when we wanted to go right but uh yeah we we just had a blast man it was that's like guaranteed on that trip to just be fun you're at the lodge every night we uh definitely drink our fair share of whiskey that week uh watching football games in the evenings and uh, had an absolute blast and the fishing was unbelievable the we were catching some black rock fish a couple different several every day your limit's 30 when you're out there with the six of us on the boat and man that was like uh like the funnest 15 minutes of fishing you could possibly have <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. just second you could drop the drop the lure down you're hooked up into a fish and reel it back in and and then uh yeah it was just an absolute fantastic trip but as far as the deer hunting goes obviously we talked about we're super curious there's a the two groups going after us we know both the people in both of those groups and just curious to see what happens i don't know if there was a die off of the deer and the pot, like I, to me, there is something for sure. I don't, I don't think even with the brush that, um, I don't think the deer population was, is anywhere near what it was in 2021 and, and this particular part of the Island, but I'm super curious to see what, what happens with those guys. They may, they may, the, the may, the rut may turn on and, and a bunch of snow knocks all the brush down and all of a sudden there's deer popping out everywhere. Like it should have been. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just one final thought like one takeaway as i was coming home from this trip again i wasn't yeah i did there was so much good about it i can't even say i was like 
I don't say not disappointed, but I you know definitely wasn't feeling dejected by any means. But like the one thought I had was on, and this is like just true to any hunt when you have a tough hunt or a hunt that didn't meet expectations or a hunt that you know was much more difficult or just didn't have the outcome that maybe you've experienced previously like if nothing else it just makes you appreciate those previous experiences where you maybe did have some success i mean i i come home from this trip even more thankful for my prior experiences in kodiak right because it's like it was almost feeling like a guarantee to just like go up there and see a ton of deer and shoot a good buck, which obviously is great. But now having this experience where it, it didn't even come close to happening, it makes me look back at our other pr- other trips or, you know, previous hunts and go, man, I feel even more fortunate to have had a really good experience prior. And that's not specific to Kodiak or even a big out-of-state trip. That could be, that could be anything. That could be a guy who just had a tough elk season this fall and you know maybe has had some previous success look back at those previous experiences your previous success and it's just just make you more grateful for it so um, that definitely stood out to me coming out of this one absolutely all right um shifting gears we one thing we're going to do steve we've done it i don't know probably four or five years prior uh you and i will make some sort of gear of the year list. And this is partially me saying this because reminding ourselves to do it. <laughs> but I thought it would be fun as well. And I don't recall that we've ever done this before. I wanted to throw that to you guys, the listeners, to let us know if there was something stand out to you, something new you tried and loved, etc. We will do our gear of the year list. We'll talk about those gear items on the podcast in the future, probably early December in a few weeks here. But it would be fun to hear from you guys and maybe get some input. So shoot us a message. Let us know. Send an email to podcast at xmountaingear.com what maybe your top gear of the year pick was. And then we'll pick some of those and share some of those when we also share our gear lists. I thought it'd be fun. So again, just send us an email with that podcast at xmountaingear.com or you can find that in the show description as well. Next, we mentioned on the previous Monday Minute, Steve... Uh, the suppressors and you know you doing some sort of like comparison testing etc on the thunder beast ultra 5 which you've been using for a few years now and then the new um, banish back country that's what it's called right mm-hmm. yeah so we mentioned that and that you know you would just share your thoughts in the future when you got some more time to shoot them we had a few people uh several follow-up to let mm. us know about a resource for suppressor comparisons because i mentioned in that conversation how you know it is difficult with suppressors because you don't get to try a lot and they're difficult to own it's difficult to get your hands on them and obviously people want to make a good decision several people will reach out to let us know about a resource called pew science pew which i actually was aware of but just uh i thought it was good to highlight to make listeners aware of that it is a really good source for suppressor reviews one thing to keep in mind though is they don't like you don't have every option so like the banished backcountry for example they haven't reviewed or rated yet maybe they will in the future um but pew science if you're not aware of it they do very in-depth suppressor testing mostly focused on uh, actual sound suppression so they're not you know they're not a hunting group they're not always like trying to just look for the best lightest etc but they will just do very in-depth 
ratings of suppressors and then they have calibrated like professional equipment that they do this the sound ratings with so you can get more like direct comparisons um that are pretty objective and and very well researched and i would say pretty dang like scientific on suppressors so if you're interested in that just want to make listeners aware of it because it is a cool um resource i know they also have a podcast i haven't listened to it uh i know that i've heard from people who've listened to it and basically said it's tough to get through because they apparently the episodes are very long and they just don't get to the point <laughs> but i will say oh. that the website um is pretty cool but just keep in mind that they don't have you know they have a, a lot of suppressors they reviewed but again they're not approaching this from necessarily a hunting perspective so they it's not like they focus on the backcountry or like lightweight suppressors specifically by any means but cool resource to check out nonetheless um diving into listener questions steve and you know this isn't a super easy one to answer but i i did see this question and wanted to hear your experience this guy wrote in and said um, we were just several days into our recent elk hunts and we located an elk herd and had a plan for the following morning to close the distance on them but that night we heard a pack of wolves come in and we were assuming that they ran the elk off because we could not relocate them the next morning, the elk that is, and then could not relocate that elk herd for several days. I was wondering what your experience is with wolves and elk behavior. Is there any way to predict how far the elk might move because of wolves or in any certain type of way they might move because of wolves? I assumed the elk would just move a few ridges over, but despite all of our searching, we could not find the elk and could not, could not find any more fresh sign and basically have no idea where the elk may have gone when they left the country. Any practical experience of Steve, like you relocating no. or just knowing what elk may do in relation to wolf? I wouldn't, I don't even say wolf pressure, but even wolf I, I've been around wolves, elk hunting, you know, a lot since a lot over the last 20 years on and off, depending on the year. I've seen, uh, actually, like Tyler Boshma has a, like, literally wolves are howling and he's like one ridge over and he's chasing and hunting a bull that's bugling back at him, right? Like one extreme, right? Like. The, that bull was bugling could care less, like I don't say could care less but maybe he was just rutting and you know just not thinking straight uh so there's that example and then I've seen yeah other scenarios just like this guy's talking about where it's like wolves come in you hear some howling you know they're there and the elk just seem to vanish well, I can't I could not give any you know I'm sure it just depends on the elk herd the amount of pressure how used used to wolves they are or aren't uh in general if i'm in wolfy country but there's still some elk i tend to find the elk in just the nastiest thickest kind of north facing type slope that that you can find in that area that was uh two yeah just last year when i was hunting um when cody from morning race came up he had killed his bull and then we traveled north up to an area where i had a tag and there was one day I just ended up hunting solo and I'm finding elk sign everywhere, but there's also some, some fresh wolf sign. We had had that wolf encounter at camp the night before, which was, you know, five, six miles away, but I knew wolves were in the area. And I finally got into elk that day. I said, and this just 
blow down thick brushy mess and that seems to be um certainly where the elk like to go and where they feel safe for whatever reason from from the wolves i think the you know they have the yeah just kind of well, if they hide in there or the wolves have a tough time running them down because it's so brushy and thick that you know they don't have that advantage of kind of speed chasing them down i'm not sure how that works but that's been my experience and yeah like i said i've i've seen both seen and heard both examples of uh two very ends of that spectrum yeah i don't i mean i i don't have a practical like oh heard wolves saw wolves and saw what elk did right like i think it's gonna be very yeah. tough as you said it's just gonna depend on the country the time of year i think it does depend greatly as you said steve on like what is how used to or what type of previous interactions have those elk had with wolves you know um i can think of i, I mean one thing too is like i think it's worth differentiating between active present wolves like you're hearing them you know that they're quote unquote like working this area, et cetera, versus another thing I don't necessarily want people to jump to is just seeing wolf sign. Like they're out hunting and they're seeing wolf scat, wolf tracks, et cetera. Cause you know, maybe that's been quite old and that doesn't necessarily mean that elk won't be in the area or that you should write the area off. Um, mm -hmm. Thinking back to that hunt we did quite a few years ago with uh, born and raised when, um, the summit, Steve, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. you know, we, we were in elk multiple days in a row in a certain spot. And then that day, Steve, we moved and then did that backpack loop. Mm -hmm. It was like one drainage over one ridge over. And there was a ton of wolf sign in there, especially as we made our way up, like a ton of wolf sign in there. And it that was like the first time it stuck out to me where it was like a really dramatic, here's a ton of wolf sign, but I know that just over the ridge, there is a ton of very active vocal elk. You know, it was like very apparent to me. We weren't seeing elk in this one drainage we were coming up where the wolf sign was. We weren't hearing anything. We didn't really end up finding anything right there, but literally just over the ridge, we had previously for like two or three days been in very active present elk and actually ended up going back in the area and killing a bull and so sometimes yeah. like i would just say you can see a ton of wolf sign but that doesn't mean that elk aren't within the vicinity of that country but of course if you're like actively hearing wolves seeing wolves etc that's going to have a tougher effect on elk and then Again, maybe they're not leaving completely but they are going to be a lot tougher to hunt because as you said Steve they're going to be in a lot of thick cover um, you know, if this is an earlier, like say archery or, you know, first half of October where elk tend to be vocal, they could be quiet, you know? So there's just, they could be there. Maybe they're not far away, but maybe they're going to be pretty shut down. If wolves are very present and the wolves are very active, it's going to seem like the elk are not active, even if they haven't really left the country in general. So I definitely could just, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, and it just... Um, as I said, I've seen elk be, you know, 15 years ago, it seemed like the elk were very you know, responsive to wolves, right? And meaning that they, they left the country, they, they moved a couple miles away 
and and then just certainly in Idaho, I've noticed as we've been able to hunt wolves, wolves are becoming more shy. I think less aggressive. That uh, the elk are starting to, you know, they act a little bit more normal, but it just depends on. I think there's just so many factors. One final thing: we had a pro tip, quote unquote pro tip, <laughs> that was shared by a listener. He <laughs> left us a message on Speakpipe, so let me share this, and then uh, we'll have a recap here. Hey guys, this is Rob from Wisconsin. I just got done listening to today's Monday Minute number one ninety six, and regarding Jake's upcoming whitetail hunt, I believe I have a pro tip for you. I take hot hands and put them in my front pants pockets uh, so they're near my arteries uh, to kind of warm up that blood flow and I've noticed that really helps. I also take a hot hands with a sticky side and stick it to my first or second base layer on the back side of the shirt so it's on my backbone in between my shoulder blades and as you can imagine, it gets pretty cold here, and after sitting sometimes for all day in the cold, it can get pretty hard to pull a bow back when your muscles are cold and tired. Um, hope that helps, and as always, thanks so much for all the great content. All right, well, thanks for sharing that. I think, uh, you know, hot hands, obviously, <laughs> not a new concept, but I've never thought of putting them, like he said, that upper back region to, like, keep the muscles warm around drawing a bow which i thought was really cool i'd never thought of that um obviously unique context but it did just remind me you know as we get into this time of year there's quite a few late archery hunts that may be coming up and i cannot tell you how many times i have heard stories from guys who have struggled with or messed up opportunities on late archery hunts because they're really just not I don't want to say not prepared to shoot in those conditions, um, but they're just, it's one thing that isn't practiced a lot, right? A lot of archery guys, they're practicing all summer and they're preparing for those early archery hunts in September and et cetera. But I just wanted to, to bring that up one, because I thought this tip was cool, but also even like if that's not your context of say whitetail hunting or sitting stationary and using hot hands, it really made me think about how important it would be to continue to draw your bow through the day on say a late archery hunt just to keep those muscles a a bit warmer keep them more activated and not go out there and you know sit in glass or even be hiking all day but not have drawn your bow in really cold conditions Um, i think it's going to help from the muscular perspective but also like tough conditions too just with your bow like your bow can freeze up something can happen with snow keep that bow moving a little bit throughout the day um, and then just really making sure, because I've messed this up myself, that you're practicing shooting, especially for these late hunts with, I don't know, the clothing that you're wearing, but even things like, call them accessories for lack of better terms. Um, I've messed up a shot in the past because of a hood. I know guys who've done it because they're wearing like a, like a neck warmer, for example. So like anything that can change your anchor point affect your draw affect your release whether that's clothing accessories whatever like now's the time of year where if you have a late archery hunt to make sure you're doing some shooting and practicing with those things so uh yeah i thought this uh this message reminded me of that and it's a good time of year to share some basic advice there yeah i like it speaking to jakey as well 
He did shoot a buck last night. Spoiler alert. We got some pictures, so he had a successful hunt. Congrats to him. Hopefully we'll hear more about that later. But uh, as always, guys, thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions for us, send an email. If you want to share one of those gear of the year suggestions, send an email. I will also say that uh, there's some good news coming from EXO soon. So make sure you receive our emails if you don't yet. Go to exomountaingear.com forward slash newsletter. You can sign up. Uh, we got some cool stuff coming that uh, you don't want to miss. So check it out. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.